Welcome to the New Kind of Man podcast. This is episode 45. In this episode, we're talking to Tim Wright, and we are preparing boys for heroic manhood. You're going to love this conversation. And we get into the nitty-gritty on how to raise boys, the differences between boys and girls, what churches and also what families and what men can do to help raise boys so they can become heroic men. So this conversation is packed and it is awesome. Well, if you're brand new to this podcast, maybe you don't know much about me. My name is Chad Zook. I have been working with men for about the last 17 or 18 years. And I began this podcast less than a year ago uh, just to kind of formalize a lot of the things that I've been learning and uh, just to share it with guys who would find interest and help in it. So uh, the podcast here and the work that I do with men is centered on four pillars. And the four pillars are these, intellectual growth, spiritual growth, physical growth, and then relational growth. And I believe that when a man is growing in all these areas, he's going to be a fully integrated man, or he's going to be working towards being fully integrated. And when he does so, that he can become great. And this is the, in my belief, this is the Thing that men want. This is what little boys dream of. They want to become men of significance. They ask the question, who am I and, and what value do I have in the world? What is it that I'm supposed to do? And I believe that the, that the core message that we need to hear is there is a pathway towards greatness, and it's not through selfishness. It's actually through service. So as we serve other people, then we can become the men that we want to be and the who that we were designed to be. This podcast also, in case you're new, I specifically target certain types of men to come onto the show. Sometimes it's just a compelling story. I just want, I love compelling stories, and I'll, I'll get into the nitty gritty of their stories to see what, uh, to really boil them down to see, okay, what is the what is the takeaway here? What is the thing that we can apply so that we can become great men? Or maybe it's just an author and somebody who's written a book and done a deep work and a deep study on a topic, and yet it, as it pertains to men or fatherhood or raising kids or something along those lines, uh, that uh, we get these authors on so they can bring about this education and help us, again, to boil down uh, the information, distill it so we get some things that are rich and applicable in our lives. Also, I've had some world leaders, people who are world leaders in men's movements. Uh, I bring about Navy SEALs. They have a level of mastery that a lot of us uh, simply can't understand, but yet we highly esteem. So I'm very strategic and I'll bring on uh, special operations guys, high level guys, because they have specifically, they have a lot of habits that I think that we can put into practice and, and convey into everyday life to, again, help us to become better men. And then I also just loving having ordinary guys who are doing extraordinary things. And some of these are my favorites, actually. And uh, just ordinary guys, and they're the types of guys that ask the question, okay, why am I on the podcast? Or like, what's going on? Because they think that what they did is not that that significant. But yet when you hear their story, you're like, wow, that is incredible. I want some of that in my life. So this is uh, really the backdrop of the New Kind of Man podcast. This is what I'm about. This is what the podcast is about. This is what the movement on Facebook is about. This is what the movement on Instagram is about. It's about all of these things. So I am so grateful that you're listening. If this message today through this podcast, uh, it really takes root in you. And maybe you, you're a dad. You're like, oh, I need to I need to save this. I need to listen to this. Maybe if you're... Uh, part of a church. You need to pass this on to church leaders. There's a lot here that church leaders need to hear. 
or, or maybe you are a church leader and you're like, I need to make sure that I put some of this into practice. And certainly if you're just a dad, put this into practice and also share it with other people around you. This is the the best way that you can pay it forward of all the work that goes into these podcasts and getting guests and reading books so I can have conversations like the one that I had with Tim. Uh, a great way that you can pay it forward is just by sharing this with somebody who you know who could benefit from it. So I appreciate you, men, and I also appreciated this conversation with Tim, and I know that you will as well. Well, today on the New Kind of Man podcast, I have Pastor Tim Wright, and we are talking about how to prepare our boys for heroic manhood. So, uh, men, if you are a dad and you have a son, you need to listen and take very, very detailed notes of the conversation that we're about to have. And you also need to go out and you need to buy Tim's book, Searching for Tom Sawyer, which is what this conversation is going to be based around. I have read dozens and dozens and dozens of books on manhood and why men need to be in church and why men aren't in church. And let me tell you, this one is is fresh and new as it pertains to boys. So you want to tune into this conversation and I want to give you a warm welcome, Tim. Well, thank you so much. Good to be with you. Thank you. Good to be with you. If you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and your family background, and we'll uh, tee it up that way. Sure. Well, uh, again, my name is Tim Wright. I am a Lutheran pastor here in Phoenix, Arizona. We have been here for 36 years. Uh, My wife and I met up in Minneapolis. We were high school sweethearts, and uh, we moved down here for my first call. And uh, in that time, we uh, we had a daughter who just turned 40, and she and her husband have two fantastic grandchildren that, well, their children, our grandchildren. And then my son and his wife uh, have three kids, and all of our families, our grandkids live right by us, just a couple miles drive. And uh, that's um, uh, been a real blessing for us. Being a grandpa has been really special for me. Um, I was at, uh, my first call was at a very large Lutheran church here in the uh, Phoenix area, and it was a, a mega church. And then in 19, or in 2005, they planted the church I'm at now, which is called Community of Grace. And that's in Peoria, Arizona. Um, not a mega church, um, but, you know, we're pretty healthy, about five, 600 people uh, in attendance in our good months. And um, uh, so that, I do that. That's my main thing I do. And then, of course, the stuff that we're talking about today, focusing on boys and men and girls as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So let me just ask you this. So Search for Tom Sawyer, I thought it was a great book. Um, but one of the things I guess I was just wondering, and, and maybe you had it in the book, but I missed it. Uh, thank you for sending me that advanced edge copy, by the way, to help me get refreshed for the conversation today. But I, I was going to ask you, why is it that you're so passionate about this cause? I mean, you're a busy guy. You've been connected into ministry now for over three decades you're a grandpa, you know, you're, you're kind of living your life. A lot of people in your kind of sphere of life are just kind of like not coasting necessarily, but not as passionate about causes like this. At least that's my experience. I know somebody's going to send me an email later and say, no, you're wrong, but that's fine. I, I, I reserve the right to be wrong. But why are you so passionate about this cause? Yeah, well, when we started uh, Community of Grace uh, 15 years ago, uh, I was doing a lot of reading uh, just to, to kind of get myself thinking again about church. 
Of course, I'd been, by that point, I'd been in ministry over 20 years. And I came across a book called Why Men Hate Going to Church, written by David Merle. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really an eye-opening book for me. Uh, and as I read through his book, I began to see that a number of the things that men find off-putting in the church that we'd actually built into our new church. And I was rather alarmed by it and just really, to be honest, I was angry at myself for not seeing it um, because I had been concerned always about how do we reach men. But you just get used to uh, being in a pattern in a church where the majority of the people who come tend to be women. Uh, we're a very verbally oriented uh, religion in many ways. We preach sermons. We sing songs. And uh, as we're, we'll probably talk about, guys aren't wired that way, first and foremost. They're visual. So I read his book, and uh, it had just come out. And so I, I connected with David Murrow and had him come down to Phoenix to do a seminar. Uh, we were the first, I think, the first seminar he did. Oh, wow. Uh, after his book was out. And uh, after the seminar on a Saturday, he came and he spoke at our church. And he spoke for about eight minutes. And as he spoke, he held three or four or five raw eggs in his hand. And he, he preached about boys. And as he went through the sermon, he kept dropping eggs on the floor. And when he was done, he said, in the eight minutes that I've spoken, this represents the number of boys who've left the Christian church. Wow. And it turns out the number is somewhere between 70 to 90% of all boys will leave the Christian church in their teens or 20s, and most won't come back. <laughs> well, that got my attention. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, God just stirred something in my heart. So I, I wasn't quite sure what to do with that. And I had remembered reading an editorial by a guy named Michael Gurian in the newspaper, USA Today, and he'd written some books about boys. So I ordered some of his books. The Wonder of Boys was kind of the book uh, 30 years ago that started the modern boys movement. And I sent him an email and I, I said, uh, you know, I'm a pastor of a church. Michael's Jewish. I'm a mm -hmm. pastor of a church. Um, I'm wondering if you would do some consulting with me uh, and help me as a pastor do for our boys and our girls what you're doing in school systems. Because it's education, it will apply. I didn't expect in a million years he'd write back. He's a New York Times bestselling author, for heaven's sake. I got an email back the next day, and he said, I would love to talk to you. So I actually started out by hiring him. I contracted a relationship with him. And we hit it off so well, we quickly became friends. We started writing some things together. And uh, basically, we've been doing uh, things for boys and girls, but mainly boys, for the last 13 years together. And that's how I, I kind of got started. And so it was David Murrow and then uh, Gurian's work on boys. And, uh, and then it was uh, you know not long after that that uh, I had three grandsons. And so then it became personal. My son was already pretty well grown, but once the grandsons came along, then it was like, okay, this isn't just theory anymore. Uh, I'm watching my grandsons now grow up in this, this world, which isn't always boy friendly. Yeah, for sure. You know, that Murrow book was one of the things that really rocked my world several years ago. Yeah. And, and if guys, if you have not read that book, you need to read that book. Truthfully, it, it was encouraging and yet it was incredibly discouraging at the same time when I read it <laughs> yeah. because it, it changed the way that I looked at everything about the church setting, it, about the songs that we sang, about the preaching style, the length of service, the way the place looked, the way that we greeted one another, 
everything changed when I read that book. And, but yet it was, it's one of the things that I, I hold near and dear to my heart now because it's informed my faith and it's informed the way that I speak uh, on Sunday mornings when I speak to my church. And then also just the way that, that I carry like a, a higher value point for men Yes. in, you know, as far as my work in ministry. One of the things I, I thought was really interesting, and I didn't even know you were going to go, uh, go this, this direction, but you teed it up really well. I actually think that your book is, is basically the equivalent for boys. Yes. When I, when I read Murrow's book, it, it, you know, it's speaking into men. And when I read Searching for Tom Sawyer, you have the equivalent uh, kind of change in me stirred up from your book as the same thing with Murrow's. So well done well, part, on that. You know, part of what I wanted to do was call it Why Boys Hate Going to Church. <laughs> but, uh, you know that so it, you know David was quite influential in that yeah in, in my thinking about that book and and uh, to try to say something about boys specifically because obviously their needs are a bit different than those of men of course uh, but the church uh, and I and I wanted to tie it into the congregation so the subtitle is how parents and congregations can stop the exodus of boys from church because it's a dual partnership so it wasn't just a parenting book wasn't just a book for youth leaders and Sunday school teachers and pastors. It was for both of them to find ways to work together for the sake of our boys. And I think that's the, that's the desire to most, for most church people, but I just don't think that they're equipped. I think so many times when it comes to church and I'm not giving, you know, people an excuse for doing the wrong thing by any means, but I understand the busyness of ministry as you do. Yes. understand the business of life to where you're okay. Sunday's coming. You, you have to just kind of plug this away. You've got to just kind of jump in and get things done without looking at, especially a smaller church um, without looking at, okay, what are we, re what full impact are we having on the next generation, particularly little boys? Yeah. And, and the, the challenge for us is that we just don't see it mm. uh, because we have, uh, gotten so used to a certain way of doing church that we don't see the things that Merle was seeing that that can be a turnoff for men. So I, I liken it to what's happening in, in schools. And this is Gurian's uh, stuff, not mine. But mm -hmm. the, the overwhelming majority, over 90% of all elementary age teachers are, or elementary school age teachers are female. Mm -hmm. None of them have been trained in brain science, in how the brain actually learns and processes information and the differences between male and female brains. So those teachers are naturally going to teach to a more feminine way of understanding the world, thinking that that's normal and natural. Because it is to them. It is to them. That's right. So they are used to verbal. They're used to emotional uh, conversations. Uh, you ask a girl, uh, what are you feeling? Boy, instantly she can pull that up. You ask a boy, what are you feeling? it can take him anywhere from 15 minutes to two days to process that information because right. his brain works differently. Mm -hmm. So if you're constantly giving assignments where boys have to write and write out their feelings, they're going to fail. If you constantly ask boys to read books that are really wordy and uh, you know, tend to be more about relationships with girls, for example, uh, rather than the books that boys like, which are always on the do not read list that have to do with, war or fighting or heroism yeah, right um you know those are the books that are banned from schools uh, you know boys fall behind in reading so the same is true in church our sunday school curriculums oftentimes our sermons the music we use as you mentioned 
all favor the way a, a female brain works. And we just don't see it because it seems so normal. But then when we start looking around and we say, uh, you know, how many men do you have in your church? How many boys do you have in your church? You look around and say, well, where are all they? And they're not staying away because they're not interested in Jesus. They're staying away because they're not interested in church as we do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a very true statement. I, one of the things that I, I really wanted us to talk about is not necessarily, I don't want to start, I want to get back to the, to the church role because it's huge. And I know that, again, if somebody's a church leader or if somebody's just a dad who's connected to a local church, you have skin in the game. Like you need to listen to this. You need to tune in and you can decide what it is that you need to do and to what extent that you can do it, but something needs done. Um, but, but most of this starts at home. Yes. So I was just going to ask you this. What is you, you talk about in the book, the value of affirming boys. Yep. What is the best way that, that a dad can affirm a boy okay. and be as practical as you can? Because, you know, we're guys. We need, we need yep. bullet points, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I think that there are certainly several things. The first thing, and, and this will be more generic, be a good man. Hmm. Be a good man. Model what it looks like to, to be a man who follows Jesus. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying be a perfect man. Uh, Jesus only calls flawed men. Jesus only calls sinners. So, uh, you know, you, you can take all of that high performance stuff off the table. Just right. be a good man, a man who, if you're, if you're married, you love your wife passionately. Mm -hmm. um, you, you treat her with dignity and respect. Um, you, you model reading for mm -hmm. your son. So, because uh, boys are falling way behind in reading. Mm -hmm. we, we hear a lot about girls falling behind in STEM. Boys are falling far more behind in reading than girls are in STEM. Uh, be, uh, for some of the reasons we talked about earlier. So mm -hmm. sit down and read a book with your son uh, or just read a book in front of your son. And, uh, you know, when your son says, what are you doing? To, oh, I'm reading a book. Wow, really? Mm -hmm. Men read? That's amazing. But on a more general or a more specific level, uh, I think some things that you always want to do, and, and one is constantly give your son the blessing. Mm -hmm. And the blessing is, and I, I think this should happen somehow, some way every day. Look your son in the eyes and say, I am proud of you. I'm honored to be your dad. I love you. And you're a good kid or you're a, you're a good boy or you're growing into be a good man. Mm -hmm. So every day, just to let guys know that there are so many men who grow up and they're less than men because they have that huge father wound. Right. And they spend all of their lives trying to prove their worth to their dads, even though their dads may have been dead for years. That was the story of my dad. Mm. So boys need that, that hole in their heart, so to speak, filled by good men, dad, grandpa, church leaders, pastors, youth leader, mm -hmm. whatever, to just, hey, I'm proud of you. Uh, catch your son in the act of doing really good things. And when he does, you know, if he take, if he picks up his room and nobody's asked, man, you got to let him know that was really good. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's fantastic. Um, if he, if he's reading or he's doing his homework, man, good on you. Now we always want to be a little careful uh, because we want to catch them doing something good, not to make them think that the only time they get our attention is when they're doing something good. Right. right? Sure. Otherwise, you know, cause our boys are going to mess up. So we also want to create this environment that says to them, I love you. 
no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I want you to know, you may not believe me on this, but I want you to know it doesn't matter what you do, no matter how messy your life might get, it's safe to come to me. Mm -hmm. I've got your back. And we had to do that for my son. My son went through a really tough time and had some issues in his life, but he always knew he could come back to mom and dad because it was safe there and that we would love him. Um, one of the things that, that um, Gurian talks a lot about is um, the, the unique ways that moms and dads tend to parent each other. Hmm. And uh, dad's parenting tends to be more rough and tumble. Dad's parenting tends to be more activity-based. And um, in a world where your son is growing up in a highly verbal experience, high verbal in church, high verbal in school, uh, mom, of course, probably high verbal, that boy needs to activate the other side of his brain. And that's where dad comes in and say, hey, let's go out for a walk or let's go play basketball or, uh, you know, son, what do you like to do? Mm -hmm. uh, it may even be occasionally playing video games, but don't make that your go-to. Uh, that that's a treat that you do occasionally. Um, so it's spending time. It's letting your son know you love him. It's modeling for him. What good men look like, what forgiven, let's put it this way. What forgiven men look like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's so good. And, um, and then, and then your son sees you taking the lead. Not that you always have to do this, but taking the lead to say, uh, it's, it's Sunday, it's Saturday night. We're going to church. Mm -hmm. uh, dad, I hate church. Yeah, that's all right. We're going to go and we're going to sit together and, and uh, we're going to worship God together because this is important. This is part of what it means to grow to be a good man. And this is important for me. I want it to be important for you. Yeah, that's, that's solid, solid advice. I couldn't help but think of just these two different words, blessing and affirmation. We're blessing yep. and, and I'm reminded of a of a book maybe you've read it's called seven desires the author's name is lazar l-a-a-s-e-r i think it's a husband and wife team but it talks about the the core seven desires of human beings and i'm not going to get into all seven but what they highlight right out of the gate is the top two or what i consider the top two desires that every human being has and that's to be blessed and that's to be affirmed and what they talk about with blessing is this idea it's based off personhood that's just who you are not on a condition of how you've performed, not what you've done. It's just like you saying to your son, hey, I love you. You're my son. I'm so proud of you that you're my son. And, and that is a, that's part of his identity. And so that's his personhood. But the other side, the affirmation side is, is performance-based. It's you saw him doing the right thing. You saw him do homework without you know, being prompted to do it. Clean his room, do something, you know, be nice to his sister, be nice to his mom or caring for someone else. And that is, I think with, with boys that carry so much weight because we always, just as John Eldridge has said, I think everybody, and even men ask this question, do I have what it takes? Yes. Who am I and do I have what it takes? And I think that's, that's a question or two that haunts us even into manhood. I mean, I've read dozens of books on manhood, studied manhood, talked about it for hours. I mean, worthy of days and days and days. Yep. And yet that question still rolls around in my brain. Um, so I think we have to create and establish a foundation where dads or grandpa or a spiritual leader, somebody starts blessing and affirming our boys. Yeah, absolutely agree. And of course, the, the movie Saving Private Ryan years ago, you know, that whole thing was hinged on that one question. Mm -hmm. Have I, have I been a good man? Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I'm guessing that most men who watched that scene and maybe men of a particular age, like me, just fought back the tears. That's the question. Have I been a good man? And uh, that to be a good man, that doesn't happen automatically. That has to be trained in us. That's mm -hmm. what makes boys somewhat different than girls. Mm -hmm. uh, boys need to be trained to be good men. And, mm -hmm. and those are some of the tools that help us do that. And of course, immersing our sons in this incredible grace of Jesus yeah. uh, that says, look, I, you think I love you. That's nothing compared to God's love for you. And um, uh, modeling forgiveness, you know, when we catch our sons doing things they shouldn't do, you know, there are, there are always consequences to our behavior. Uh, but for Jesus, there's always forgiveness for that yeah. behavior as well. So, now, you, may, you may have to cycle back to a couple of things that you've already said, and that's just fine. But I'm just going to ask this question. How do we impart a compelling vision for heroic manhood upon our boys? How do we, how do we help develop this compelling vision for them? Yeah. Um, I, there, there are several different things that, that would be important to that. And, and we've talked about some of them already, mm -hmm. and, and I won't circle bad. I'm going to add on to that. Okay. Um, there comes a point in our boys' lives around puberty that um, cultures have known almost since the beginning of time, mm -hmm that uh, this whole thing of boys need to be trained to be men. Girls, starting around puberty, around 12, 13, 14, so a little bit younger now these days, they get this monthly reminder mm -hmm. that they're becoming women. And they have this internal hormonal thing go on in their bodies when they start menstruating. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they start growing, you know, parts of their bodies that mm -hmm. weren't there before. You know, everything sure. we've got has been there. <laughs> and it, right. it's always there. <laughs> right. It may change, it may add hair, but it's, it's all there. All the parts are there. Right. Not true for girls. So right. something is happening for them every month to say, I'm entering into a new phase of life. Mm. And there's all kinds of biology behind that. Now, mm -hmm. in our world today, we still need to, to train girls to be women, but we're, that's a different topic. Mm -hmm. So what cultures have always understood is that it is possible to be a boy in a man's body. Mm -hmm. And you can just look out at culture yeah. and see all kinds of men who never really grew up because nobody ever taught them or trained them to be good men. Mm -hmm. And so cultures have developed these things called rites of passage. Mm -hmm. And they were intentional periods of training. They all looked different, mm -hmm. but every culture had them. Every tribe had them. We've lost them now here in the United States for the most part. We do have a rite of passage called driving. You, mm -hmm. you train for it, you take tests for it, you practice it, and then you achieve that final moment, and then you get your driver's license. But we don't have a lot of other real rites of passage. Um, and so um, it, it's, I think it's become even more important for us to find a rite of passage to take our boys through at a certain stage. So let me give you a couple examples of that. Uh, in our, our Jewish friends, uh, and I grew up in a community in the Minneapolis area, 30 to 40% Jewish. So uh, even though I never went to a bar mitzvah there, my first bar mitzvah was going with Michael Gurian to learn rites of passage. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew about them. And these boys would, would go through a period of training for a while. And uh, then they would have this, this big moment of challenge. And usually for Jewish boys, it's leading their congregation in worship. And once that's done, they are declared men. Now, a 13-year-old boy is not a man, but uh, 
years, you know, hundreds of years ago he was, mm -hmm. had to be, uh, but it's still symbolic of something happening where you begin to train your sons and impart to them a vision. This is what a man looks like mm -hmm. uh, in ancient tribes. And, and probably there are probably tribes that do this today. Um, they would put on this big dramatic experience where everybody knows uh, all the adults know that it's time for a boy to have his rite of passage. And so mom will have him in the tent and mom will have his arms around him. And all of the men of the community will come and all the women are standing around the tent. They're screaming, no, you can't take him. You can't take him. They're all in on it. <laughs> and, you know, dad or a couple men walk in and they just rip the boy out of the arms of mom as a symbolic way of saying, we are taking you from the world of the feminine. <laughs> and now you're going to be initiated in the world of the masculine. And then they would take him out and he'd have to accomplish whatever task that is, you know, maybe hunt a bear or a deer or spend the night by himself and get back to the village, whatever the challenge was. Mm -hmm. And then when he got back, the whole village would welcome him back as a man and they would celebrate male and female with a big party. Mm -hmm. Those things are missing from our culture today. Mm -hmm. uh, however, boys internally have that need to prove that they're a man. And so when boys don't have an actual rite of passage, they'll make one up. And the prime example of that is the college campus, their first year on college campus, where they go through all these initiations and hazings. Mm -hmm. And the way to prove that you're a man is to drink as much as you possibly can and have sex with as many girls as you possibly can. Right. Because they don't know what it means to be a man. So they're just going to the, the, the basis level they can find, mm -hmm. spurred on by their other friends who don't know how to be men. Mm -hmm. So boys still look for rites of passage. Every boy still has to find a way to prove that he's a man. And if we don't train them how to do it, they'll find the wrong ways to do it. Yeah. So Michael and I um, created some rites of passage programs. And uh, people can go to timwrightministries.org, timwrightministries.org. The one that I mentioned in my book, Searching for Tom Sawyer, mm -hmm. uh, has be, been rewritten and renamed. So all the information in the book is wrong. You got to go to timwrightministries.org. <laughs> And created a program for churches where churches can take groups of boys and their dads through a rite of passage, which we've done about eight or nine times at our church. Or for uh, families that maybe don't have a church that's doing that, we, we, have, we created little things that dads can do with their sons, both for faith-based and for secular dads, mm -hmm. uh, to just give a chance to start the conversation about these are the things that we believe are important for you to be a man. And we actually spell out a vision using the word heroic. And each of those letters stands for a different um, aspect of being a man, honorable, uh, enterprising, and so on, uh, to, to give that vision. So these rites of passage uh, really are crucial. And because we've lost them, we, we've really been doing a disservice to our boys and to their families and to the families who will, that boy will be a part of someday when they get married. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, you're speaking of the rites of passage and we've even lost, you know, organizations that would have given a version of this, like the Boy Scouts or those yes. types of things back yeah. in the day that uh, I would have never known it at the time. But in hindsight, just, you know, doing a lot of self-discovery uh, just because I was never I had no formal initiation of my own as far as with my dad or men around me. There was just a lot of apathy and a lot of honestly, a lot of broken men who just didn't know what to do. So that's right. And so I, I, I look back and I, then there was one critical weekend and it was an event that I had to basically qualify to go to. And it was 
time in, in silence and solitude and going away overnight by myself, had to make fire by myself, very primitive. And it was literally, it was as primitive as it, as it can be. And now I look back and I'd say that actually was a really pivotal time in yes. my upbringing, but I didn't know what at the time. I know I felt great when I was done, yep. but I didn't know of its intrinsic value until years after. Right. And what we're getting at today is to help dads to find this for themselves, whether it's through your website or, um, and I know that even in the book that you reference other books. So I, I love that too, that you're not saying that you hold the market on all these things. No. Nope. Nope. Raising, Raising a Modern Day Night has a version Raising of this. Modern Day Night, it's really good stuff. Yep. Um, but the key is doing it. And, and I think the statistic, and I could be wrong on this, so you would know more than me. I think the statistic now is, is somewhere in the range of only 10% of boys have any sort of initiation at all. Mm, mm. I've read that, that, I've read that, that somewhere recently. I, that would not surprise me. I haven't, I, I'm not familiar with that statistic, but I would not be surprised at all, especially with the, uh, the transition that the Boy Scouts are going through mm -hmm. uh, right now for good or ill. I don't know if it's good or not yet, but um, there that was sort of the one thing now there's a thing called christian service brigades uh c csb ministries i think they're going by now there's a christian version of uh the boy scouts they're doing some really good stuff hmm. never uh, heard of it with them yeah uh, i've just in fact i was uh, i went to a thing when i was a kid called stockade boys okay. and uh, so they've been around a long, long time. They've just been rebranding themselves the last few years. Uh, Christian Service Brigade it mm -hmm. might be a helpful thing for churches to look at or dads to look at for mm -hmm. their sons, because I think that they've also created some specific programs for dads and their sons. Um, you know, when you, you, you recognize, uh, if, you, if you look at what's happening in culture today and, and the, the sort of the books that people, have, kids are reading, families are reading, movies being made, they are rites of passage books and movies. So mm -hmm. Harry Potter mm -hmm. is a rite of passage story. And it's a boy who is growing up. He's learning what his powers are. He's learning the right way to use his powers. He's got his big challenge against Lord Voldemort. He doesn't do it by himself. He's got adult mentors. He's got his mm -hmm. friends. Uh, the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, those are rites of passage books. Percy Jackson books are rites of passage books. All of these are, are books rooted in this ancient need for boys to have rites of passage. And now we're seeing increasingly books written to girls with similar themes hmm. of discovering their gifts and being challenged to use their gifts in the right way and, and being on their own and having to make decisions and, and facing that one big enemy, whoever that is, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's Voldemort or Sauron or whatever it might be, right? So, so this is embedded into our our lives right now, we just don't understand that these are really rites of passage stories because we've lost the art of it. Now, this may be too detailed, but you mentioned Saving Private Ryan, and there's a particular character in the movie that, it, that I'm challenged every time that I watch a, a couple scenes with this, this particular guy. The guy is, he's really, he's really thin, he's really small, and he doesn't, he's, he definitely doesn't carry himself as a soldier, but yet he's having to operate as a soldier near about the end of the movie. And this is the man, if, if this was, this is a moving part of the, of, of that movie. The man is actually on the steps and while at the top of the steps, there is a, a German and then an American fighting hand to hand. And the German ends up killing the American with a knife. 
So it's a very pivotal moving part of the, of, of the movie. And mm-hmm. the, in this guy, you see that he's, you know, he's just, he's kind of imploding and now he's just crying at the base of the steps. He could have gone in to save most likely his friend and just shot the, the German, but he didn't. So his, his friend died. So now the German comes down and the German walks right by him. And now that he's in tears and he's sitting there, but the German looks at him. He's like, well, this guy's a, this guy isn't a challenge. So the German just runs away. But at the end of the movie, just about probably 15 minutes left in the movie. It's a long movie, maybe 15, 20 minutes in the, before the end of the movie. That man has a transition to where he no longer is being pushed around. Instead, when the POWs are there, when the wars, when that battle's over, Tom Hanks is already dead. He's standing there rounding up the the Germans and the same German who was coming after him. And when you said that, I have no idea why. I've never thought about this until just now. It, It reminded me of maybe that was a portrayal of a rite to passage to where in that where he became a man, he became a warrior. He took on that aspect of a man that he needed, but you see that play out in cinema and you're so burdened because you can relate to the guy. And yet, and then at the end, it's like this coming of age story at the end where he actually takes up the mantle of a warrior. I don't know if that even connects with you, but I may have taken a long run for a short slide, but that's what I thought of when you said that. Well, it's just a, it's just a great example of how every guy craves being every guy craves being a good man yes boys don't come out of the womb thinking how can i screw up the world right right now they they we come out we're we're broken human beings we're in need of grace all of that Mm -hmm. but boys just aren't born saying how do i screw up the world Mm -hmm. guys who go bonkers uh oftentimes have mental illness Mm -hmm. or they never really discovered what it means to be a man and Mm -hmm. and guys tend to do one of two things when they're lost they either climb into their cave and become passive and so we have that stereotypical 40 year old guy in the basement of his mom and dad's house playing video games and watching espn all day long right or he becomes overly violent Mm -hmm. and those tend to be uh, and i'm not diagnosing here but they tend to be symptoms of depression or lack of vision for life. Mm-hmm. So the, the danger for us is if we don't take this seriously, uh, we're going to raise generations of men who either check out or become overly violent. Mm-hmm. And, and we're seeing some of that played out now. We, we know that, um, you know, guys, men aren't going to college like they used to. 60 to 70% of students in college now are mm-hmm. female. Most of the degrees, well, the majority of degrees given now uh, are given to women, not men. Um, and so men are falling further and further and further behind, not only in the marketplace, in the workplace, but in family life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that has a lot to do with, you know, you mentioned uh, these, these guys from a generation ago, it's no fault of their own. They weren't taught how to be men, right? Or if they were taught to be men, it was at war. That's kind of where we taught guys how to be men at yeah. war. Well, that's not the best training place. It may be a training place, but you don't want to train every guy to be a man at war. Uh, there's more to manhood than that. Right. Um, and, and I think the church ought to be the primary place where we're shaping good men. Mm-hmm. But we, I agree. We've sort of passed that mantle mm-hmm. uh, or 
maybe not even passed it. We just dropped it. So yeah. you've mentioned a couple of things and I'll, I want to cycle back to something as it was actually in the book, but also you just, you didn't say this word and the word is testosterone. You yes. didn't, you didn't talk about it just now when you were speaking, but it connects to something that you had in the book that I wanted us to bring about. Yep. You said that basically men, if they're not given I'm kind of putting words in your mouth a little bit, but it'll carry the same idea. If men aren't given permission to be men, then more than likely they're going to land in one of two different categories. One of which is being passive. It's the nice guy, you know, that whole thing to where he's passive and he, he basically is not leading. He's not, he's not the man he ought to be, right. or he becomes the barbaric man who's right. using his testosterone, using his power to basically belittle people and to, in, in an attempt to make himself look good, which shows that he actually lacks something. He, that's yes, an insecurity. That's Yep. So, so I'll cycle back to this. How, how can churches, families, even school systems, because I know I have teachers who listen to this, how can they harness the boy's testosterone for good? Okay. That, that may be so, too big of a question. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. But uh, just so, so we're, we're sort of clear, when I talk about testosterone in the book, uh, I use it in two ways. One, biologically, mm-hmm. that the primary shaper of men is this hormone testosterone, which is an action hormone. Mm-hmm. It's a get it done hormone. Michael Green calls it an aggression hormone, mm-hmm. but he always makes a distinction between aggression and violence. Mm-hmm. Violence, not good. Aggression, good. Aggression mm-hmm. is having an energy toward the world. It's moving toward the world. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I, so that's testosterone. We have seven to 20 times more of it in our bodies than girls do. And in fact, when we're in the womb, we're all female and it's testosterone that shapes a male brain in us and makes us male. So, but I also use testosterone then as a metaphor for our power and our strength. And that's what you're asking. How do we help boys harness that power? Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think one is to validate boys. Um, at At the risk of a little bit of history, in the 60s, when I was growing up, and of course, I didn't know this, but... Uh, in the 60s, we, we had a, a, a number of things come together at once. We, we saw that girls were behind boys in school. We had the emergence of the feminist movement saying, wait a minute, that women should be treated the same as men. And that and some other things, there was this concerted effort by the whole country to invest in girls' education. Uh, at that time, the government invested $100 million, which was, you put it in today's language, it'd be a lot of money, mm-hmm. to get girls caught up. And so, and, and this will sound like a negative word, it's not. Education became feminized, meaning it started to focus on the girl brain. Mm-hmm. A lot more verbal, a lot less uh, recesses were taken out, movement was taken out, sit still, share your emotions, mm-hmm. write things. In 1982, girls caught up. In 82, and soared past boys. They left boys behind in the dust. But if you were to if you were to ask that kind of question, who's ahead, boys or girls in school? The common storyline is still that boys are are way ahead of girls, and it hasn't been true since the 80s. Wow. And so we still have this storyline that girls are the the victims. And boys are the perpetrators of that victimhood, or men are. And it's, it's time to let that storyline go. There may be some truth to it somewhere, 
But the real storyline is our boys are just as fragile as our girls are. In fact, there are studies that say that the absolute worst experience when, when human beings are most fragile is a 12 to 13 year old boy. Nothing more fragile than that. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? We would say it'd be girls. No, it's a 12 or 13 year old boy. In fact, all of the research says that men tend to be more fragile than girls in health issues and in other areas of life, even though we have this strong testosterone. Mm -hmm. So our boys are still vulnerable. And so I think it starts with having this new vision for our boys and saying, these boys matter. They're mm -hmm. behind. And I try to help people just think through, you know, imagine what life would be like if we had a generation of boys who checked out or were overly violent. Mm -hmm. Who are going to be the dads? Right. Who, what girls are going to want to marry guys like that? Mm -hmm. um, and, and we're already hearing from young women saying, we, we don't even know where to find guys anymore. This is just not out there because they, they just, you know, they're making four bucks an hour flipping burgers at McDonald's. Nothing wrong with that. But when you're 45, you know, maybe you were created for something better. So I think we right. need to, I think not only do boys need a vision, we need a new vision for our boys. Hmm. And then we need a strategy to help our boys. And uh, in our schools, that strategy is for teachers to learn what it is that they can do to help boys learn better. And I've done enough uh, summits with Michael now and teachers to know that you can do two or three or four simple things immediately and not change your curriculum, mm -hmm. for example, and this can work in Sunday school as well, mm -hmm. um, have the boys stand up for part of this, the, the teaching time and, uh, or give them a squish ball. Um, when, when uh, you know, in school and in Sunday school too, oftentimes it's sit still and listen, right? And if boys start getting fidgety, sit still, sit still. They got testosterone going off in their body. They can't sit still. Mm -hmm. So when a boy's brain has disengaged, from sitting too long, he'll start to fidget. He'll start tapping. Uh, if they use pencils, he'll start tapping the pencil or wiggle his leg or he'll start turning around. And that should be a good sign to the teacher. He's trying to get his brain reengaged. And the mm -hmm. teacher should say, oh, you know what? I'm losing the boys. Let's stand up. Let's do jumping jacks. Uh, five minute brain break, whatever. Let boys move. Uh, when you ask boys questions, um, rather than just saying, okay, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Give a boy a chance to write down an answer. Get some words on a page. It stimulates the brain. Mm -hmm. Or rather than a big writing assignment, let a boy do a comic book. Let him draw pictures. Um, so the more visual we can make it, the more movement we can include, um, the, the more that we can use uh, masculine stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, that all helps validate boys. That doesn't mean that we ignore the girls. Every single study that Green has done where teachers have implemented boy strategies, the girls' grades went up. Wow. And the reason for that is because a girl's brain is created in such a way that she can move between a male and female world. A boy's brain is not wired to move into a female world. And it sounds sexist. Take it up with the creator. It's just the way it is, right? <laughs> There's a, over 160 differences between a boy brain and a girl brain. Wow. And while girls can go back and forth because they use far more of their brain all the time, they can move in and out of a man's world and back in. Boys can't move, for example, easily into a verbal world. Now, you and I are verbal guys. We're pastors. So sure. we have, more, we have the, a different verbal capacity than a lot of guys do. Mm -hmm. But a lot of wives will understand this when their husbands have worked all day long 
and he walks in and she's worked all day long and she says, how was your day? Yeah, good. And that summarizes the whole day for him. That's all he needs to say. Now she can go on for about an hour about all the different things that happen and she wants details and the guy has details, but he just doesn't have the words for it anymore. He's worn out yeah. because his brain doesn't process that. So um, in our churches, uh, even thinking through you, you mentioned Merle, uh, how you had to rethink worship. Mm -hmm. um, unless you're a really, really good preacher, guys aren't going to sit longer than about 15 minutes. Uh, in fact, Gurian says that there's this thing under our thighs. I can't remember what the muscle is or what the nerve ending is. He said, after about 12 minutes, your thighs say, I'm done now. So we've, we've really tried to create our worship services so that about every 10 minutes or so, we're moving. Might be to stand up and sing a song. Uh, it might be to get up and do communion. The sermon's, you know, not more than 15 minutes. Uh, and boys need about every 10 minutes, boys need to take some sort of break. And, and those are helpful for girls too. That helps girls, but it's immensely important for our boys. Recess, uh, Sunday school for an hour with boys sitting with a Bible and reading out loud. Yeah, with a girl present. With a girl present. Like you, you talk about, and then you bring in the shame element because they already feel insecure because they're put in, into a, a feminine environment. Yep. And then when you have a boy who knows he's, that he, he can't compete, is literally his brain will not allow him to compete at that level. That's and right. yet then you have the shame element. And then you run into things like I was watching a movie last night on television. And I think the movie is called San Andreas. And The Rock is up there with his ex-wife. And so literally he, and again, this is just off the cuff, but it's the same thing you're talking about. This has lived out in a man who something had happened. They had lost their first, they had lost a daughter. And yet they end up divorcing all because the rock couldn't actually talk about yes. the, about how he felt about the daughter dying. Right. Now he felt deeply about it. He felt yes. so deeply about it, but he couldn't talk about it. And right. it wasn't until however many months or years, I don't even know until they, they had already divorced because she thought that he blamed her and vice versa, but it really wasn't. It was all because of this shame element. It's and, a perfect example. Yep. Perfect example. And, our boys tend to run a year and a half to two years behind girls in reading anyway, right. uh, because our brains develop more slowly. So a three-year-old boy brain is a one-year-old boy brain compared to a three-year-old girl brain. Mm -hmm. And yet our school systems and our churches now too insist on getting kids to read by kindergarten. That's a three-year-old boy trying to tackle reading. So by the time he gets to third, fourth, fifth grade, he's already lost. Mm -hmm. And he can't read out loud without stumbling. And the girls are snickering at him because they can read so fluently. And uh, you're right. He just, he feels like he's lost. And that's, uh, you know, just as an aside, uh, when Gurian does counseling with men, he will do one of two things. Uh, would you like to go for a walk first? Mm. Or uh, he'll ask questions. He'll hold a ball and he'll throw the ball to the guy because we're, we're spatial. Mm -hmm. We love to watch balls moving through the air, right? football, yep. basketballs, tennis balls, whatever it is. We love things that are moving. Mm -hmm. and, and, that, and that activates the brain. And so he'll go for a walk and walk with a guy and talk for a while because it activates the brain and then throwing the ball back and forth. Mm -hmm. And so maybe in our Sunday school classes, we just need, you know, the teacher has a ball and, hey, Chad, uh, you know, what, uh, what do you think about Jesus doing such and such? And you're squishing the ball and boom, boom, boom. I, I can start to think. I can start to process. And it's just there are such simple things that you can do 
and it changes the game for our boys and enhances the game for our girls. Yeah, I believe that. And I, I've lived that, you know, I, uh, I'm just, I'm burdened also for our boys because I think consequently to what we're talking about here and it being the school systems thinking, you know, very feminine minded and not masculine minded, not trying to raise boys, but they would say it's for, they would say it's for the good of the kids, but they're not taking into account the boys right. uh, when it comes to stuff like this. But I think this is also the reason, one of the reasons why there's been so many misdiagnoses about ADHD. Sure. Sure. Um, 85% of Ritalin type drugs prescribed for ADHD, 85% of them in the entire world have been prescribed to U.S. boys. So that's not a boy problem. That's a systems problem. Yeah. Now I have a granddaughter and a grandson. Both of them have to take that kind of medicine to focus. It's been a lifesaver for them. Mm -hmm. So this is not to diss that diagnosis, but it is to say, you're right. Just because a boy can't sit still, it's not a sign that he has ADHD or ADDH or whatever those things are. Mm -hmm. He just has testosterone. Mm -hmm. So why don't you try letting him walk around a little bit or create pictures rather than find out first if it's a testosterone problem or a learning problem mm. we're too quick and you know god bless our teachers they got 30 kids they got to manage oh I, I can't even imagine yeah. my wife is a teacher yeah. and i'm thankful that you know a lot of these a lot of this is going to be very insightful for her as well but she already works through a lot of strategies i'll brag about my wife for a minute she always she has been working through strategies she recognizes the difference and uh, of of boys and girls and she really has a soft spot in her heart for boys because she realizes that they fall between the cracks yes. for a bunch of reasons. You know, one of the things I think that is valuable about this too, everything that, that we've been talking about, I don't want the listener just to listen to this through the lens of, well, now I need to make sure that my teacher, that the teacher for my kids is doing this. That's important. But think about this when your kids are doing homework at home, they've been doing schoolwork all day long and they come That's home with just, piles of homework little boys doing piles of homework sitting at the kitchen table and we're like all right you're not getting up until you know this is sadly this is an indictment on me i've said this in my frustration my son's 24 you know we're well over these years when he was a little boy though i'd say you're not getting up until you get that homework done yep, yep. how foolish yep. i literally if if i would have if we'd have had this conversation back then you know 14 yep. years ago I would have said, hey, man, every 10 minutes, you're going to get a break. Hey, let's go play catch for a second. All right, get back and get back to math. Yep. But I didn't. And, and it was as much, truth, truthfully, it was about, it was as much about me as it was ever about him because I was sure. just frustrated that he, that he even had to do it, that he didn't yep. want to do it, and that I had to do it with him. Yep. If I may just offer this free of charge to teachers who are listening, uh, all the research says that homework doesn't do much for our kids. Mm. If that can be counterproductive unless it is homework that really is important to the task. There's too much busy homework mm -hmm. and um, we're robbing kids of time to play. We're robbing kids of time with family yeah. and it is not enhancing their learning. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be smarter about the kind of homework that we give to our kids. All kinds of studies on this, mm -hmm. all kinds of studies on boys' brains and girls' brains, but our teachers, God bless them, they just don't get this information in the schools. They're doing the best they can. Yeah. And then, of course, they're held to certain standards. And if you don't do this, this, and this, uh, so some of them may have to do some good arguing and say, wait a minute, let's, let's look at these studies. Mm -hmm. Why am I giving an hour of homework for every class these kids take? That's just 
none of us, none of us who work over, who work too much, we, we want to try to raise our kids so that they don't fall into that trap. And yet we're creating that trap through school. Yeah. So you have four, five, six, seven hours of school and two, three, four, five hours of homework at the end. That's just craziness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, I hadn't thought about that until you said it, Tim. It's very much modeling and require them to do the types of things that we do as adults. You, as, as an adult, it's just something that we, many times we have to do or we choose to do. You have your normal nine to five, quote unquote, job. And then you may choose to do other things or stay late or I'm going to work Saturday, I'm going to work Sunday. But yet you create this normalcy with the kid because their, quote unquote, day of work is school. Yep. So then school's over, but yet school continues, quote unquote, overtime um, as they're sitting there. So we're actually creating this cycle of, to me, I agree, unnecessary busyness yep. in our boys that then transcends into manhood. And then we wonder why men are exhausted, men are tired, men don't know how to put the brakes on. They have no idea what rest is. Sabbath is unheard of. It's because they have been uh, trained and discipled in a way to, to live in opposition to that their whole life through. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And, and again, I just encourage teachers, um, you know, because every teacher wants their student to become a learner. Mm-hmm. They want her to be, grow up to be good citizens of the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are a lot of studies out now about how to do that better for boys, how to do that with less homework. And um, so, I, and, and I'm pretty sure, Teachers don't want to have all these papers they have to be correcting all the time either. So it's a win-win for, for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a difficult thing because you, you know, as a, if you are a teacher, then you have, you, you are facing opposition maybe of, again, what the standards are and meeting the standards and getting that work done. And then the school board and all those other, other types of things. Um, but, you know, I just want to, as we're kind of rallying this thing to a close, I want to just kind of mention uh, all of these keys to speaking boys. You say there's eight keys. You give six (laughs) and then you're sneaky with the last two. But you say there's eight keys to speaking boy. And some of these you've talked about. But you you mentioned them. You mentioned the ones you want to talk about because I don't remember them. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, You mentioned action already. Yep. You've mentioned kind of aside, making it visual. Yep. Uh, I mentioned intentionally separating boys from girls, especially in yep. learning environments and learning environments and church environments. Yes. Yes. Okay. So now um, it's, it's important at some point, however you do it in your, your church for boys to hang with boys and, and male leaders and girls to hang with girls and female leaders, because there are things that we need to talk about as boys that we don't want girls in the room for. And same for the girls. They don't want boys in the room. And uh, whatever that topic is, you know, whether it's masculinity or it's sex or whatever, mm-hmm. there are just some things that boys need to do on their own. And because there are uh, these challenges where there's some inequities with uh, boys learning and girls learning, uh, increasingly we've created this environment where boys just shut up because they feel inferior to the girls in the room. The girls are better at using let words. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, take the girls and, and go sit in groups and read or go out and play basketball if you want, whatever. But with your boys, go find some ways to, to move around. That doesn't mean every boy's a jock. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't mean that boys can't access emotions. 
but generally speaking, there are things that guys need to do with guys and things girls need to do with girls. And, and the church is a setting where that can happen well. A little tougher in schools, although I think that there are times where, you know, teachers would be wise to find ways to separate. I remember when I was in fifth grade and we had sex education and uh, surprise, surprise, we had one male teacher in fifth grade. And so all the guys went with him and uh, we had our sex education with him, thankfully, because it would have been pretty darn embarrassing to have our female teacher talk about those. <laughs> For things. sure. Um, but one of the things I noticed with him was just how all the kids, the boys and the girls just gravitated to him, not just because he was a great guy, but because he was a guy. Yeah. And he was the only male teacher in, in our, in kindergarten through sixth grade. And there was just something magic about him and he got, he understood, he got it. Um, so yes, I think separating them can be very, very uh, helpful. Yeah. That was one that I wanted us to talk about. And then, and then also, I want you to, I guess we'll kind of end on this idea and, it may, and it's a big idea. So take as much time as you need. You say that one of the keys to speaking boy is to connect with them emotionally. Yep. Now this seems at odds. I mean, I work with a yep. lot of guys and this is emotions are incredibly hard for them to access and they're intimidated a lot of times with guys who can access them or they, they kind of pass it off and say, well, you know, you're, you're not that much of a man because you share emotion. Um, and I don't think that that's true. I think that, that our, the, the, the prototype, the perfect prototype of a man is Jesus Christ. Yep. And in Luke two fifty two, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. Jesus had the ability. He was a fully integrated man. He had the ability to access any emotion he needed to at the time without being consumed by that emotion. Right. So this is the backdrop for the question. So how is it that we can help boys to engage emotionally? Mm -hmm. So, I, first of all, I, I think the problem is that when we talk about emotions, we talk about emotions from a female perspective. So we define all emotion as the way that women emote, and that's the better way to emote, mm -hmm. to, to speak out, you know, always talk it through, to uh, more access to tears. Now, girls actually have biologically they produce bigger tears and more up more of them um and and so that's sort of become the gold standard the way that a woman emotes is the gold standard but why why should it be the gold standard men emote all the time they just emote differently um the primary emotion for men is anger yeah we all know how to do that now at first, people say, well, that's a negative emotion. Well, no, it's not. Mm. When Jesus met that leper in Mark chapter 1, says he had compassion on him, the word in Mark is anger. Mm. Jesus was angry. He was angry at that man's condition. He was angry at the ostracism that man experienced. He was angry mm. at the way it broke up his family. He was angry at the injustice of it. And that anger he used to bring reconciliation to that man. Mm-hmm. So anger isn't a destructive emotion, first and foremost. Anger is how we use it. And anger is an emotion that men have to change the world, to right what is wrong. Martin Luther King, I mean, we're talking a lot about racial issues right now. Martin Luther King, I'm, I'm gonna, I don't know him at all, but I'm going to guess that he was driven by anger at the injustice of mm -hmm. racism, and he used it nonviolently. Mm -hmm. We have stories of Jesus being angry all the time. 
Sure. But he was always using it in the cause of righting a wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's an emotion guys have. Um, and, and, uh, and, and I say it's a primary emotion because a lot of our other emotions can come out of that then. But uh, we feel emotions of pride for our kids, mm -hmm. right? Or accomplishment. We can feel shame at being embarrassed. Um, men can feel deeply, deeply hurt by things. I think men feel hurt very, very deeply. But be, just because they don't have the words to access it doesn't mean they don't feel it. Right. They'll express it differently. Mm -hmm. They may express it through silence. They may express it by saying, I, I got to get out of here for a while. I got to go for a walk. I got to go shoot some buckets. Mm -hmm. I got to go see Fred. I just got to get out of here. Mm -hmm. And that ought to be a sign to the people around, okay, there's something going on for him. He's sharing his emotions with me. He just doesn't have the words to articulate them right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think part of what we want to do is we want to give permission to boys and men to have emotions the way they have them. Mm -hmm. And, and then give them, uh, some of those tools to begin to find ways to deal with them in healthy ways. And this mm -hmm. is something that we, we need to be trained to do. So it is okay if a man feels stuck and has is just got something going on in his life and, and he can't get at it. It is okay to go see a therapist. Mm -hmm. I've seen a therapist in my life, but find a therapist who understands guys. Yeah. Like Gurian. Somebody who the first question isn't going to be how you're feeling. The first question is, would you like to go for a walk? All right. right? Uh, or you want to, you know, shoot some bus buckets or something. Mm -hmm. You look for that kind of therapist. Um, be able to, to say to a man uh, or teach a man when you're, when you're angry, when you're stressed, you know, you are, every man knows it, mm -hmm. but you don't have the words for it. That is perfectly okay. Just take some time and do what you need to do to figure out what's going on with you. Because what men do, what women do, is they speak out loud mm -hmm. to process and just get it out and or to come to a solution. Guys internalize, guys think about it, and then they come mm -hmm. to their conclusion. Uh, and part of that is because guys don't like to feel inadequate. And so a guy doesn't want to say something too soon or he'll look stupid. We don't like to right. look stupid. Right. We don't like, we don't like it when we're lost. We don't ask for directions, all those things. So to, to validate the way that men feel emotions, to validate that when you feel like crying, it's okay to cry, but crying is not the gold standard for expressing emotions. Right. Um, and this is all right. So now I'll just get on my soapbox for a moment. <laughs> Almost every time people today describe a moving encounter with God, what do they say? I wept. Yeah. The whole congregation was weeping. Mm -hmm. Really? That's the sign that God's spirit moved? That's the only sign? Well, what about the guy who was standing over there in the corner, had deeply moved, but no tears in his eyes? Was he not moved? Mm -hmm. It's not the gold standard. Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, the gospel doesn't ever talk about the sign of God as people crying. The gospel said the sign of God is the promise of God, whether we feel it or not. Yes. Right. And that puts a lot of pressure on the guys these days in these churches that are highly emotive, where they sing 15, 20 minutes and they've got their hands in the air and their eyes closed, tears coming down their cheeks. That's not made for the average guy. And he feels like there's something wrong with me. I'm flawed because I'm not crying over Jesus right now. 
I'd maybe like to have a beer with Jesus, but man, right now, I don't want to just cry tears over it. Mm -hmm. um, so all of these things to be able to say, but I, I remember when I was a kid, we were on some sort of spiritual trip, a music trip or camp or something. There was a deeply moving moment. And, and, and you know, you could just feel the whole place. There was something going on. The girls in our group were all crying. I was laughing. Hmm. That was my release to what was happening. Hmm. And they all kind of said, what's wrong with you? Well, that was my laughing was the same as their crying. So I had some sort of emotional response to it. Guys, guys are emotional beings. Mm -hmm. Let's just give them permission to be emotional as they are and then give some tools. So what we don't ever want to say to boys is boys don't cry. Yeah. Okay. We never want to say that. What we do want to say sometimes is, okay, it's maybe time now to stop crying and let's get back up and get on the bike again. Mm -hmm. That's what yeah, guys bring to the table. I think when we tell, when we tell uh, boys specifically that boys or men don't cry, what we're saying, what we're telling them are emotions are bad. That's right. That's actually what we're telling them. Emotions yeah. are bad. So therefore you either become stoic in nature and you separate completely like then all emotions are bad. So no matter what one there is. So if it's joy, if it's happiness, if you know, your kid just got baptized, you should be ecstatic and smiling and you know, all of that, or, you know, it's, or whatever the case may be of just saying, you know, I could be incredibly proud of my kid because they just graduated high school, but I've got to stand there because men don't show emotion because emotions are bad. Yeah. And, and I really like what you said, Tim, because what you did was you just created a, a pathway of which of showing that boys and men emote and it's a, that they need to emote. That's a healthy thing to do, but it's clearly different than, than little girls or women. And when we try and put boys and men in the women's box, of course, we're going to be frustrated. Of right. course, men or you know, if they're already having some challenges, being able to just even access emotion because of maybe things they've done or just they're, they're just not emotionally mature enough yet. You know, this is the reason why little boys go to then take advantage of girls. And this is the reason why men go chase bottles and they chase women and pornography. Yep. Uh, one of the many reasons that is. Yep. But, but I think that's the, the byproduct and that just leads into ultimately destroying society. Yeah. So. Every, every guy knows he's an emotional being, right? We feel it when we're cheering for our sports teams. Yep. We feel it when we see something, uh, you know, what moves guys a lot to tears is good man sacrificing himself. It's true. Or asking those questions like saving private Ryan. Yeah. Stuff that goes down into the core of who we are as men. Mm -hmm. We may not cry over a rom-com movie. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, I'll get teared up by it, but, but, you know, my wife might be over there, although my wife doesn't cry a lot either, but um, you know, in a, in a movie, you may hear sniffles all over the place and guys are. Like, did I miss something? Yeah. It was a good movie. <laughs> right. But then, you know, you watch, Saving Private Ryan, or you watch some of the, or even, you know, like Avenger movies, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. when, when um, Tony Starks dies, for yeah. heaven's sake, right? Those are, those are the kinds of things that really move men. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it might be a shiver, it might be just this, you know, kind of a taking a breath in, it might be tears. We yeah. do emote. It's just, mm -hmm. let's give men permission to emote the way they emote, yeah. and yeah. give our boys tools to emote in healthy ways. Uh, Gurian likes to say, 
um, and, and this seems almost counterintuitive these days, but when boys are stressed, when men are stressed, they have to get the energy out, not through words, but through action. Hmm. All right. So girls will use words. Guys will use action. And he said, if you got to set up a place in your house where your son just goes in and punches pillows for three, four minutes, let him go punch pillows. Mm -hmm. That is not violent. That is not destructive. He is releasing his emotions. Mm -hmm. And you may find then that he's going to be able to talk about it afterwards because he's activated his brain. Uh, or you may find it's still difficult for him to do it because he, he just, his brain isn't wired to share emotions through words as much. But we want to teach our boys to learn how to do that a little bit more. Right. And you, know, and you allow them to an outlook for the testosterone too that, that built up and anger and all that stuff as well. Well, Tim, yeah. we are, uh, we're at the back end of this podcast. I feel like you and I could talk for two or three hours and still not exhaust your knowledge on the topic, but, but I have to run. And um, so thank you so much for coming on and parting uh, wisdom to us. And where can the men out there find your work and how can they get connected with you? All right. I, I want to give you two websites. Okay. The first is my website, timwrightministries.org, timwrightministries.org. And that's where you can find all the information of rites of passage. I do a weekly podcast with Michael Gurian called The Wonder of Parenting, mm-hmm. a brain science approach to parenting. That's wonderofparenting.org, wonderofparenting.org. Awesome. And that's for men and women, moms and dads. Mm-hmm. So if you're married and you've got a spouse, uh, you know, you probably both enjoy it. We use brain science all the time. And most of the questions that we get, because we do listeners questions, almost always, I would say 80% of them are about boys. Wow. So even, so parent, and these are coming from moms, mm-hmm. a lot of them. So we know there's a problem out there. We're just not talking about it enough. So thank you for the opportunity to spend an hour talking about our boys. Yeah. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you. And, uh, you know, I don't know what else as far as work you have uh, that you have done or you're doing in the future, but we'd love for you to come back on and give us some more of your wisdom and share your experience. We're better for it. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Thanks for being a boy advocate. Thanks for listening to the New Kind of Man podcast. You've been given some good manly encouragement and now it's your turn. If you found today's content helpful, go tell a friend and please leave us a review. Also, consider hitting that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. Now it's time for all of us to do what Theodore Roosevelt said. Create. Act. Get action. Do things. Be sane. Don't fritter away your time. Take a place wherever you are and be somebody. Get action.